tree huggers. Welcome back. It's been a while. I'm Stacy Pulley, co-owner of Family Tree Therapies. And I'm Terry Cooper. And we're here today to talk about what, of course, we always introduce as a very important concept, which is... Vision. Vision. Drum roll. Vision. I was waiting for you to oh. give a little... Oh. Drum Vision roll. is a lot more than just acuity or the sharpness or can you read the eye chart on the wall. When we talk about vision at Family Tree, I'm going to be talking about it from an OT perspective... And then she's going to be chiming in. <laughs> I'm going to be chiming in. From a speech and language perspective. <laughs> it's really important from both perspectives, but we're going to let yes. Terry take the lead. Go okay. ahead, Terry. So when, as OTs, when we look at vision, we like to break it down into three primary areas. The first concept is ocular motor, meaning how do the actual muscles of your eyeballs move your eyes? Can they reach all sort of nine areas? Can they converge and look at something up close? Can they diverge and look at something out far? Can you... Yes, ma'am. What does nine areas mean? Oh, can we look up, middle, down on the side, up, middle, down in the middle, and up, middle, down on the other side? Thanks. Hmm, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. I forgot where I was. Oh, can we go in and out? And then can your eyes smoothly follow something? And they, can they make these saccadic jumps from one thing to another? All of these ocular... Hmm. What does saccadic mean? It means a jump. Oh, a jump. It means, can I look and hop? Because really, when we're reading, we uh -huh. use saccadic eye movements, meaning we're not smoothly tracking. We're, we should be able to jump from word to word to word as we're reading. Do that across the page, and then we also make this jump from one side of the page back over to the left to start the next line. Super important because a lot of times we get calls for kids with reading challenges and we hear a lot about phonemic issues or sound symbol association, but we don't hear people talk about the visual aspect. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so we've got these ocular motor skills and then there's another component of vision that we like to talk about that has to do, it doesn't have to do, it is, it's visual motor. Meaning, how, how does your visual system can you interpret that information and guide your motor movements? Whether that is eye-hand coordination, whether that's catching a ball, whether that's kicking a ball, how do you use vision to guide your motor movements? And that... Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. I was going to interrupt, but nope, not, good, not a good time. Go ahead. And then the final sort of area that we break it down into, which in and of itself has a lot of other areas, is visual perception. Meaning, how do we kind of make sense and interpret what it is that we're seeing? So, how, how can we spatially orient things? How can we find something in a messy background? Do we have visual memory? Do we have sequential visual memory? And these are all very helpful skills that sort of hierarchically build from the other things that we talked about to help us function within our environment. That's so a lot of information. It is a lot, a lot, of, lot information. of information. A lot of things you didn't think about before. Probably not. What is very exciting is that Family Tree, we have... A couple of different standardized assessments in addition to a really phenomenal um, eye gaze software that actually actually helps us record your eye movements and shows us what your eyes are doing because if you have some of these underlying ocular motor visual motor challenges it can present itself as attention problems anxiety within the environment um, reading challenges so if we can address these visual concerns as one of the root issues, we'll see greater functional gains. Mm -hmm. I like it. 
And from a speech and language, from a communication perspective, what do we use our eyes for? Obviously from the get-go, engagement and shared attention from when you're an infant and you're learning how to do that back and forth and have reciprocity with someone. We also use our eyes to take in information because one of the first indicators of someone being successful with speech and language skills is the ability to imitate. So obviously to watch someone, to watch their oral motor movements, to be able to watch where their eye gaze is going and share your attention with them to where they're looking. Um, as you get older, you're going to be using it to see something you want, to point, which guides your vision, to make choices and request. Um, and then once you have that information and you've labeled something, you've seen it, you've labeled it, then you need to learn how to visualize it or in, you know, in a neurotypical uh, fashion, we do just naturally kind of learn that, oh, I can picture that I wanted the apple and I can picture I like the green ones better, so I'm going to ask for a green apple. So like Terry was talking about with visual perception, visual perception is really the basis and the foundation to all of these language and communication skills. And then as we age, our social competencies really pair up with our visual skills. How many times has a child who just doesn't look directly at you, Terry was talking about convergence, and it looks like what? A behavior. So we name it as either he didn't pay attention, he's disrespectful, we start putting these top-down cognitive labels on something that is more of a neurological foundational process that maybe they're having challenges with. Mm -hmm. And I like how you brought up how this begins very early on with babies from your perspective. From our OT perspective, one of the most important things, and there's going to be an entire podcast just on this coming up, is tummy time that we can do. And vision, especially our ocular motor skills, develop very, very, very early on. We need to, by the end of the third month, the baby should be able to be laying on its belly, propped up on its forearms, and set this sort of horizontal gravity line, and then separating these eye movements from head movements, already by three months of age. Your visual system is really good friends with your vestibular system, which is your sense of movement and balance that's housed within your inner ear. So working these two systems together and developing your visual system through certain early, early developmental motor patterns or reflexes is absolutely critical. From on your tummy, from side lying, from on your back, through rolling, your vision is what should be used to help guide a lot of these volitional movements. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking at that, because often Terry and I will evaluate babies together, I'm also looking at, from a tummy time perspective and a head writing perspective, where's the tongue anchoring in the mouth? And is the tongue able to make good contact with the palate and then thereby closing the jaw? Because there's, we're going to have another podcast on oral myofunctional and what that looks like to have nasal breathing and good tongue position. But the eyes and the tongue are often linked together. Their movements are linked together. So if you have vision that's not like Terry was describing, horizontally linked, where is your tongue? Your tongue is, is a muscle that's trying to find, that's actually eight different muscles that are trying to find stability points within the mouth. And so how does that affect feeding and speech? Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Through your neck, through head writing, through posture, mm -hmm. that's a whole other mm -hmm. one. But very, very good information. Takeaway, vision, ocular motor skills, visual motor skills, and visual perceptual skills are something that we really need to take a look at as one of the foundational root causes of some higher level reading, learning, attention, anxiety, regulatory components. Right, because I just, just to add on there, because I get hung up on labels when labels get brought to us, is that's why it's so important when you get some kind of label, either from a teacher or a daycare provider, a physician, or even just another family member who who's making some assumptions, 
and parents come to us with these labels, it's so important to understand that that label doesn't tell us a whole lot. We need to look at these underlying skills. So mm -hmm. don't get caught up in the label. It'd be like, you know, going to your physician and him labeling you, you know, diagnosis headache. That can be from so many different things. So it's really important to investigate to find out of some of these, what, what these foundational challenges are for your child. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about as, as parents, as listeners, what you can do right now to, to practice some of these visual skills without the keen diagnostic eye that we have as therapists and clinicians at Family Tree. So <clears throat> throughout the past year, through the pandemic, and now uh, just world in general, we're on screens so much. You might even be on a screen watching us. Screens are a two-dimensional thing. We don't operate in the three-dimensional world when we're on the screens. Screens, whether it's through virtual learning, whether it's through the use of a computer or a tablet of some sort within an actual classroom, screens do a lot to change our visual system. Screens are typically kind of up tall, screens have a big glare on them, they can be very helpful for certain things, and they can also be very fatiguing and challenging. So I want to give you sort of this concept, it's not mine, it's been out there for a while, but of the 20-20-20 rule, meaning after being on a screen for 20 minutes, please take a 20 second break, and by looking 20 feet away, Look out far away from you. We're so often locked in here, the sort of more converged, flexed, almost more of a freezing state. And after being on that for 20 minutes, we want to come back out and explore the world out here, looking far away. Even listening to the different spatial components that are out in the environment can really give our eyes a break. So Terry, do that position one more time, just of what you're doing. So how many of our kids look like this? And what does this get labeled from a communication perspective? Mm -hmm. Being disinterested, being um, you know selfish with their toys, not knowing how to share, not knowing how to take in social information when you're living here visually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kind of opposite of that is when, pe when kids are stuck out here. This doesn't really have to do with the 2020 rule, but it's a good kind of concept. When you're stuck up and out, and your eyes are looking all over the place, you get sort of more stuck in this territorial instinct of trying to look to see what's going on. This much more up and extended is linked with more of a fight or flight. So we visually have to be able to come in, and we have to be able to go out, and then we have to be able to operate more from this neutral so that we have the freedom to go between both. Mm -hmm. So in addition, some other quick little environmental modifications that we can do when we talk about vision is Play with the font size. The bigger the font size, the less you might have to squint. That might just be my old eyes. No, I, I think I would squint too. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, if possible, it's really a great idea to, although it's not a great idea for the trees and the environment, to be able to print things out. There's something magical that happens in the brain. It's not really magical. It's rooted in science. That happens <laughs> between when you're actually handwriting. So when you're writing something down and you're problem solving out on paper and you can write down your thoughts and how you got from one place to another, very different than operating a mouse. Helpful for some of those visual motor and then those visual, visual perceptual skills that we were talking about. And I have a research link that I can actually put in the notes for that. It's not magic. Because mm -hmm. I sent that to my sons who may or may not feel like they never have to take notes and they have their phone and they can use these apps and things like that. So mm -hmm. I actually sent them that same research just a few weeks ago. Excellent. And look at that. It wasn't even planned. Hmm. She said it. So 
in addition <clears throat> to doing those things and modifying some of the screens, the glare, the position, we're going to want to be mindful of our posture. And we don't want to have this really this neck jutting out forward as we're holding our screen or our phone down here. We want to really be mindful of our posture, that we're upright, that we can have our neck up and maybe just a little bit of this chin tuck. Um, so we can play around with the different types of seating things that can impact our vision. Sometimes when people hear um, seating alternatives, they automatically think of like bouncing on a therapy ball. Well, that completely can change your visual system. And for some mm. kids, that's great. And for other kids, this bouncing up and down can make it much more difficult. Same thing with those wiggle seats. Same thing with a wiggle seat. I think about wiggle seats a lot. Those are mm -hmm. mentioned. Those little mm -hmm. bumpy seats that you have to find your... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's great. It gives you the vestibular input you need. Other times it takes too much core for some kids. And sometimes it messes up your visual system. Your eyes... We should be able to have our eyes and our head move all together. We should be able to separate our eyes from our head. And then we should also be able to separate our head from our eyes. Mm, all of those are critical components to the foundation of regulation. Okay, other things that we can do to help with vision short of coming in. Play in the three-dimensional world of space. Catch a ball, throw a ball. Play I spy out in the environment. Um, if catching is tricky, start with a balloon. And how many times can you keep the balloon up in the air? There's a lot of things that we can do, even reaching and popping a bubble and following a bubble as you're popping it, that we can do at various ages that link our visual system, tracking things, with our motor system of popping or catching or kicking. Um, Playing in this three-dimensional world is so, so important as society becomes much more two-dimensional and screen-based. And from a language perspective, the movement within our world helps us to label things. You know, we don't want to talk about, you can't just talk about what popping looks like, but you can feel popping, you can experience popping, and you can label popping with the bubbles, pop, pop, pop. That's much more powerful than just labeling things or looking at a flashcard or doing something flat. But something you experience as movement, something you experience as an activity, then you mm -hmm. add language on top, then it becomes much, much more powerful. Then you can pull that word back up when you need it again. But language is rooted in movement. And mm -hmm. if we don't have our movements organized in a way that makes sense, or we don't have our vision rooted in a way that makes sense so that things are, like Terry said, you can converge and catch a ball, come out here and look around, and all that is done safely so we can make these transitions safely, then... I just lost my train of thought because that phone was going off. Mm. <laughs> then how that you can impact your function. How that can impact your function. <laughs> Apparently we need an auditory one next. Okay, continue. That's about all that I have, short of diving deeper into each one of these for an excessive amount of information and time. And she's got a lot. I had to, talk, I had to calm it down. So I'm not going to. <laughs> Take home. Can our eyes move everywhere? Mm -hmm. That impacts our... Our central vision, our peripheral vision. Can we smoothly follow? Can we jump from one thing to another? Can we play in this three-dimensional space? Is our vision accurately guiding our motor movements? And then perceptually and spatially, can we see things like a B and a D and a P and a Q? They're all the same shape, but they have different meanings. But we have to be able to delineate the spatial differentiation between them to facilitate our reading and our learning. So many things that we can do. If any of this sparked interest or, ooh, I might have a concern in this, reminder, we're not optometrists. It's one of the best things that you can do is to actually get an acuity screen first. Then we can come in and we can help tweeze out some of these issues 
And if needed, we can um, pass you on to a developmental optometrist potentially that can help you with some screen or some lenses or prisms or colors to help function as we develop these skills. Sounds good. As always, if you have any questions, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can reach out at office at familytreetherapies.com. You can call us 616-447-7799. And we offer complimentary Zoom screenings and also complimentary phone consultations. So if you have a question or this sparked anything, like Terry said, reach us in all of those ways. We will link that article um, and anything else we find fascinating mm -hmm. as we come around. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.